We're the Nada Grande Boys. I'm Rodney Wood. And I'm Kyle Jackson. Welcome to the Nada Grande Outdoors podcast where we hunt it forward. Is it recording on that? It records on that. Oh, look at that. We're good to go. <laughs> We're still figuring this out, the whole Zoom meeting thing. It's opened a whole new world of podcasting, but... Uh, yeah, and we are way, we are way behind. behind the curve. <laughs> way behind. <laughs> Everybody uh, else is out there rocking this for pretty a good much, year now. And yeah, pretty much the, the the COVID pandemic has forced everybody to learn this stuff. So I guess we kind of fall into that as well. Right. Um, we want to welcome two guests tonight on the podcast, uh, Ellery Williams and Kent Keen, both from the Congressional Sportsman Foundation. And I'll let you guys kind of introduce yourselves, your background, uh, and uh, kind of what you do with the foundation. And then we're going to talk about um, something that I, I think there's quite a few sportsmen across the nation that probably don't know about this. So it's nothing, it's not new per se, but new to a lot of people, I would think. Uh, Ellery, we'll let you start. Perfect. Ladies first. I like it. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so my name is Ellery Tucker-Williams. I work for the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation. I am the Rocky Mountain State's Senior Coordinator. So I specifically do state-level policy in Idaho, Montana, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming. So um, it keeps me very busy. Yeah, all the good states. Yes. Yes, they are pretty great. They are pretty we're, great. We're gonna we're gonna piss somebody off with that. <laughs> no, you guys keep me on my toes in New Mexico, that's for sure. Oh well, um, you know, we aim to please. <laughs> uh so essentially our role, and Ken has a similar role, but I'll let him explain that, um, is to help advance and protect our ability to continue to hunt, fish, trap, and recreationally shoot uh across the nation, but specifically I focus on my on my region. So. Okay. And, and what's your background, Ellery? What kind of um, brought you into the role that you have? Absolutely. So I came to CSF from Auburn University. I got my master's there in natural resources where I focus more on the social science side or human dimension side of natural resource management. Um, that was kind of a natural segue once I got my master's um, natural segue into policy and trying to kind of mesh the, you know, science with the social science together to create good policy that's not only beneficial for our resources, but also helps maintain uh, sports men and women access and opportunity. And so are you like, did you grow up uh, in hunting and fishing or come into it later in life or? No, I, so I grew up doing this. Um, awesome. It's kind of a running joke in my family. My birthday is the weekend before opening weekend for duck hunting. And so uh, I was born, my dad hung out for a week and was like to my mom, you, you know, you good, you good? Okay, cool, I'm going duck hunting. And so then every uh, every year after that, it was my birthday weekend was weekend that we could go and get duck camp situated. And then the next weekend and weekends following was duck camp. So. I grew up hunting mostly birds, um, recently got into big game hunting, and then I also grew up on um, salmon fishing and crapping. I'm originally from Washington State, so it's best of both the worlds as far as hunting and fishing goes. Awesome. Well, I can, I can, I can kind of relate to that story. Uh, Rodney gives me a hard time 
all the time because uh, my youngest daughter was born in October, which is right in smack dab in the middle of hunting season. Poor, it poor, gives poor me planet. such a hard time. Same, poor, poor same here. <laughs> poor, poor so, uh, Kent, give us a give us a rundown. What's your background? And and uh, I I assume you do some of the similar stuff, but yeah, let us know. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, I'm the Lower Midwestern State Senior Coordinator and the Senior Coordinator of Agriculture Policy for CSF. And so a lot of my role is very similar to what Ellery does, except I work in Iowa, Nebraska, and everything south through Texas. Uh, the only state in that band that I don't work in is Arkansas. And that's because my supervisor, Chris Horton, our Senior Director of Midwestern States, he lives in Arkansas, so he's hanging on to that one for dear life. He just, he, he's just holding on to that one he's, uh, for himself, huh? Very nice. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't want to give it up yet, um, but I'm working <laughs> on him. Um, and then I also work with uh, a lot of the farm bill programs on behalf of CSF. I uh, keep us engaged in that private lands conservation side, um, conservation on working lands, things like that. So I um, got into this, you know, very similar to Ellery. Um, she actually started on her master's at Auburn about six months before I did. Um, so we were classmates there for a good while. Um, while she was on the natural resources side, I was in the wildlife sciences uh, doing whitetail deer and eastern wild turkey habitat research. I uh, really liked to be outside, but then as I progressed in that role, I learned that I like to teach people about what it means to be outside to manage that habitat for those game species and for the non-game species as well. And uh, got to looking for jobs and I found this role at CSF where I was like, you know, I can explain that, that conservation benefit tie it back to us as sportsmen and women, explain that to legislators, sign me up. So I brought that in, but before that, I grew up on a dairy farm in Southwest Missouri, hunting and fishing, kind of that traditional, I'm going into wildlife management background, um, but just really excited to be able to blend that growing up on a farm lifestyle with some conservation and bring it to the policy arena. Well, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that's a, right now, I. Based on you know our limited interaction on, on social media, as much as we possibly can be on there, uh, without driving ourselves crazy, uh, it seems like especially across the West, but nearly nationwide, there's a big push uh, talking about public lands, and and not not a lot of people focus on the private land aspect of it and the good that they do. So I think you've got to actually a really pretty important role to to be able to explain that. Um, we try and do the same thing. Um, everybody thinks that we're uh, all, all pro private land and not pro public land, but we're public land hunters. Um, we just recognize there's, there's some really great stuff being done on private lands out we're, there. We're pro wildlife habitat. Pro wildlife habitat, pro conservation. That's it. Wildlife that's don't own property boundaries, right? That's they it. Do not. That's they it. Do not. Very good. Uh, well, it's good to meet both of you. Like uh, Ellery said, uh, I've talked on, on the phone with her quite a bit. Uh, we were engaged uh, with the legislative process here in New Mexico, uh, which she was extremely uh, accurate on that, that it just keeps you on your toes. Uh, had some big wins and uh, a big loss uh, this year in New Mexico, but uh, um, yeah, wanted to get together and, and talk about this 30 by 30 push and, and get people kind of on the same page and, and understand what's coming down the pike, I think. Um, yeah, I'm going to turn great. it over to you, Ellery, and let you, let you guys kind of talk about it, and then we'll cuss and discuss and throw in our our two, two cents every now and then, like we do. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
I'm actually looking forward to it. I don't know much about this. I think Kyle, you know more about it than I do, and I don't know much about it. So I'm going to be kind of a newbie questioner. Yeah. That's the role I'm going to play. <laughs> Which sometimes it comes up with some doozies. So. Right. Uh, Ellery, go for it. Perfect. Well, I'm actually going to give it over to Ken. Ken is actually oh, one of our, um, our top you know, 30 by 30 experts at CSF on it, especially on the terrestrial side. And given, like, like he said, his background in um, public, public and private land management, uh, he has a really good insight. And then I'll kind of jump in where, where, is, where it's good and uh, help loop it back to what we saw happen, what we see happening in New Mexico. Great. Yeah, Kent, uh, let's, I guess, uh, a lot of this podcast is geared towards new hunters, uh, although we do have a lot of hunters that, that longtime hunters that listen to it, but uh, bring us in kind of from the beginning. Uh, like Rodney said, I'm sure there's a lot of newbies out there that, that don't know what this is, so kind of build us a base and, and take us from there. Sounds good. Ellery set me up for a, a great fall because I'm learning a lot of this along with you. I think everybody is, but at its most simplest form, 30 by 30 is an initiative to protect 30% of our lands and waters by the year 2030. And that's linked to really a global initiative that started with UN's Convention on Biodiversity. And it's a big push to conserve and protect biodiversity across the world. Biodiversity has been declining. Um, as sportsmen and women, a lot of times you hear us focus just on the game species, the species that we like to try to hunt and catch and things like that. But we're noticing that, you know, even those game species are part of the ecosystem and the diversity across those ecosystem. And a, as a part of that, those ecosystem services are in decline. Um, the issue with that right now is that really what I just laid out is as far as a lot of these initiatives have gotten, we want to protect 30% of lands and waters by the year 2030. And there's not a whole lot of substance beyond that. And so that's where we at CSF and several of our mission partners are coming in trying to lay out from that sportsman's perspective, what we think this 30 by 30 initiative can look like and be successful and the steps that we'd like to see taken to get us to that point. And so, so basically the, the original, like you said, global initiative just kind of uh, says protect 30 by 30 and, and, my mind automatically goes, you know, when you talk about the, the UN and, and some of these global initiatives, my mind automatically goes to a dark place and says, what are they trying to pull over on us? And, and you know, I know there's, there's quite a bit of con conversation out there about um, the, the third, or no, wait, what is it? The sixth great extinction event and, and the loss in this biodiversity. Um, and so I think, talking to Ellery the little bit that I have about it I think one of the problems we as sportsmen sh should look at and and I think that's what you're trying to talk about uh, is what is the definition of protect what does that mean how does that look is that correct yeah that's exactly it and one of the things we have to keep in mind is though this is coming from the UN in America we're blessed with a, a conservation system that North American model wildlife conservation and the American system of conservation funding that pays for a lot of that conservation and a lot of other nations don't have that um, so we're very fortunate in that regard and so trying to take that model that's been so successful you know primarily on the game side 
and pointing out that, hey, you know, if the goal is protecting biodiversity on both the terrestrial and the aquatic side, we've got a lot of this resources. We've got the scientists who can get us there. We've got the conservation practices. So bringing all of that to the table, you know, from either the perspective of sportsmen or sportsmen as conservationists, because we are the original conservationists and pointing that out and trying to make the policymakers understand that and you know, give us a chance to have our voice be heard as these 30 by 30 policies are laid out. And, and to add to that also on your, your question about how you know, we don't necessarily know what protection means. And those are a lot of the questions that you know, the community has as a whole, right? So what does that mean? Do we, is it you know, locking up lands? We don't want that. We want active management. We want access. We want you know, sportsmen and women to be able to continue to do these things. We want outdoor recreationists to continue to keep being able to do those things. So it's about finding that middle ground as far as, okay, how do we reach this objective? And how do we go about it? That devils are in the details, right? So, yeah. so how? Oh, oh we got get Hillary froze. Froze. <laughs> are you still there, Kent? Everybody freeze. We are supportive of the con. That question in and of itself hasn't been answered. Okay. Yes. Um, we might have you restate that we have, uh, we have technical difficulties, technical difficulties, <laughs> but, uh, so take us, take us back through like the last 15 seconds, 15 seconds. Okay. Um, essentially what I was just kind of getting at was that basic questions is what, what does protection mean? We're trying to figure that out. That hasn't been defined. And then even more basic is what, what is that baseline? to protect 30 by 30, mm -hmm. right? So that all depends on who you talk to right now because it again, hasn't been defined. So as sports men and women, you know, we have, as Kent laid out really nicely, we have all these programs in place, all this experience doing conservation work that also facilitates, you know, sustainable use of those resources. And so what is, what is our baseline? You know, I was just doing some quick digging before we uh, got on this call and there's already, you know, op-eds popping up in New Mexico about this 30 by 30 initiative. And they say that only 5% of New Mexico is quote unquote protected. Well, what's, what's that baseline? Because technically, right, New Mexico is 50% public land. Yeah, exactly. So if public, if public land is considered protected and it's actively managed, then technically New Mexico is already at that 30%. Or is it 30% on top of what is already considered protected under whatever your definition of protected is? Yeah. So there's yeah. a, a, lot of, a lot of unanswered questions that as a sports, sportsmen and women community, we need to have answers for to kind of help alleviate some of those concerns and to provide a good path forward that we can all collaboratively come together to achieve this greater goal. Yeah, because that gets, I mean, that gets really complicated state to state, especially in the West with the varying degrees of public land that's there. Um, and so you look at Nevada, which is like 80% or almost 90% yep. public lands. Uh, are, are they going to take the other 20% and say, we need 30% on top of what we already have? That's a, that seems like a huge issue. And so that those definitions are definitely going to be really critical uh, moving forward. Um, and it's it's really hard to think about um, 
as far as how, how is this how is this going to be good? And I guess Ken, I have a I have a couple of questions for you. Do we know kind of like do we have any baselines as far as we talk about biodiversity? as far as the North American model of wildlife conservation and being actively engaged in that conservation, even though um, it's focused on, you know, our, our game species, do we have any kind of baseline or data talking about doing these things, these conservation, um, this conservation work for game species has had these side effects for all these other species? Do we have anything like that kind of nationwide or even on a state level? I think it's a state by state or probably even more regionally located. It really depends on the work that's been done at that habitat level, but that's you know, one of the beauties of it. When you're managing habitat, even for game species, everything you do is gonna be good for some things, bad for some things and have no effect on others. Uh, but generally, yes. And then on top of that, we have other programs that are focused on some of those non-game species. Um, for example, right there in New Mexico, through the Working Lands for Wildlife program, uh, funded through the Farm Bill, you have the Southwestern Willow Flycatcher Initiative. The good thing about the habitat work that's been done as part of that initiative, not only is it benefiting that species that is getting close to that Endangered Species Act threatened and endangered category, but it's also benefiting other species that utilize that same habitat. Um, so it goes both ways. The work that we're seeing done for game species can have positive effects on non-game and vice versa. Okay. Um, and the, the other question I had was, um, there's, you know, discussion about, um, I've seen a couple of articles talking about how uh, there's groups like RMEF who's, you know, kind of, I, I think they're kind of uh, coined the phrase hunting is conservation, but uh, there's some articles talking, uh, coming out now and op-eds like you talked about, talking about how, how, uh, hunting isn't really conservation because of these different things and bringing up the whole sixth great uh, extinction event. Um, Mike, what I don't know is, is how much of those, like those threatened and endangered, how much is going on in the United States with our model of conservation compared to worldwide? Is it, is it um, kind of across the board? So it doesn't really matter uh, as far as conservation models or are we seeing those extinctions happening more uh, worldwide and not so much here in, in the United States or in North America? It's funny you asked that. Ellery and the rest of the staff were having a call about uh, an article that said very much the same thing. Ellery, I'll turn it over to you for that one. Sure. So I think, I think that that's an interesting question and an important question that we don't necessarily have all of the information for, right? So obviously there's a lot of species on the planet, right? And a lot of which we don't necessarily even know. Um, and we have this idea of this global initiative, which is great. And it's a wonderful thing as far as, you know, trying to maintain our bio, conserve our biodiversity in our lands and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to understand what's going on in other countries, right? All about what research you can get, uh, the research being done, other states, other countries may not necessarily put forth that type of same type of research and funding that goes into conservation as we do. I mean, like Ken said, we have 
a globally recognized excellent management and conservation system here. So uh, I think it's a question that a lot of people would like to have an answer to that we just don't necessarily have as far as we know that globally there's a trend. We know regionally that there are trends where some species are doing great, other species aren't. And I think it's kind of that patchwork um, probably globally. No movie questions. I'm 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 building them up. I'm building them up. Uh, when we get towards the end, you know, I'll have a bunch. But I know. I'm, I'm still learning, and I don't want to start the soapbox yet. <laughs> um, go ahead, Ellie. I was just going to say, kind of on top of that, thirty by thirty, we talked a lot. You know, we talked recently or previously about the Nevada having eighty percent public land, and then you have other states comparatively on the other side of the spectrum, right? Like. I'm more familiar with Alabama, given that's where my research was done. Um, but I believe, can't correct me if I'm wrong, but they're 98% private, roughly, yeah. high high 90s. Yeah. Um, and so then that's where you have this discussion about, okay, well, what what constitutes 30 by 30 on private lands? What programs do we have in place to do that? And however that ends up being defined, you know, are other states like Nevada or Alaska going to be expected to kind of pick up the slack depending on what those definitions are? So there's a lot of these unanswered questions that not only impact public lands and resources on those public lands, but also our resources, like we said, wildlife and resources don't know property boundaries that happen on our private lands and where how we really need to bring all parties to the table to really do this in a manner that is beneficial for everybody. Yeah. And that um, leads into a really good point um, about this whole program. We talk about the 30% of lands and waters, but one thing we haven't talked about even here this evening is where should that 30% be located? And that's another question we've got to answer. And so when you're considering, you know, where those property boundaries are, who owns what, uh, we also need to have very well-defined objectives related to biodiversity so we can understand, you know, what species are we targeting? Do we know what species we need to go after? You know, what practices can we implement that are beneficial to those and other species as part of that ecosystem? And then again, from our perspective, how can we maintain access for the sportsmen and women who are most connected to those ecosystems? Well, and I can see, I can see huge, I mean, as I'm sure you guys can, it seems like uh, almost almost nobody's interested in, in meeting in the middle anymore. It's, it's all or nothing for everybody. And so you tend to, you tend to get these situations uh, where um, they, they want to do this conservation and, and, and they say, well, not here and not here and not here. And so you get into the questions like you're talking about, well, where, where well, are we going to do this? Where are we going <laughs> to, you know, and that, you know, we, we can't, we can't drill in, in, I'll just use Bristol Bay as, as one of the examples because it's always kind of been in the news recently, but, um, or is that what it is? Yeah. Anyway, the headwaters up there, you know, they talk about, well, you can't do it here. You can't do it here, but where, so where, where is this going to happen? That's, I think that's a big question for, our, would be um, for us and, and is going to be probably for a lot of sportsmen. And, and, and particularly, I think, um, when you start looking at where where funding for conservation comes from, and, and a lot of it comes from, you know, drilling, offshore, on federal lands, all that stuff, and and you start looking at that and say, well, you start shutting that stuff down, and, and where does the funding come from? Um, anyways, I'm Rodney pulled the soapbox out. I stood up on it. 
um, I'm going to get back <laughs> off of it. Um, tell us about uh, about kind of what the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation and some of your partners are are looking at doing, or or what you have in place, and 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 yeah, tell us about about what you guys are up to. Absolutely. So if you go online, um, highly recommend going to huntfish3030.com. That's huntfish, one word, with the digits 3030.com. Uh, and on that website, that is where we have our hunting and fishing community statement on the 30 by 30 initiative. And it breaks down a lot of what we as a sportsman's conservation community would like to see to ensure that when and if this 30 by 30 initiative does get off the ground, that it's actually accomplishing measurable goals. And it lays out a lot of, again, what we'd like to see related to the initiative and to the role of sportsmen and women within that initiative. Uh, and that includes maintaining you know, as much access as we can for sportsmen and women to continue to participate in our endeavors while providing that critical funding through the American System of Conservation Funding. Um, and, I think, and I think it's important too to note that, you know, we need to make sure, not only do we need to make sure that sportsmen and women are at the table from the get-go for these discussions and implementation, but if we aren't, or if we don't make sure that we are invited or invite ourselves, depending on, you know, the situation, um, we need to make sure that we're a part of it. Otherwise, we're going to be playing catch-up and we don't yeah. want to be doing that. We want to be out front helping lead this initiative and being a key role and using our collective knowledge and our experience and, and that funding model and just everything that we have learned from doing this for so long and being you know, the original conservationists and all the benefits that we have already done and helping kind of shape this in a way that we know can be successful while not limiting people's abilities. And so kind of like where, where do we stand on it? So where, where is the 30 by 30 initiative uh, in, in, I, you know, I think judging from what you guys are saying, it's kind of in its infancy. Are, are those discussions happening? Are we looking like sportsmen are going to get a seat at the table? Um, or are we just gearing up to be ready when it, when, and if it does get off the ground? I think it's a mix of all of that. And it really depends on where you're talking about. And so we've seen bills introduced at the state level throughout the nation in the last year. In California, we saw a bill that was very ambiguous in its language and was kind of threatening taxes for sportsmen and women. And that's absolutely what we don't want to see. And then we've seen other examples that highlight the role of sportsmen, sportsmen and women as conservationists and do maintain that conservation-centric approach and the access and opportunities for sportsmen and women to continue to be a part of that system. So I think it really varies um, at the federal level. You know, this was explicitly mentioned in President Biden's executive order talking about climate change. And so that is something else that this initiative has been very closely tied to. And so as a part of that, CSF and others have been having very close conversations with the Biden administration, those cabinet departments to ensure that when regulations are put in place that we do have an opportunity to have a seat at the table and discuss that and ensure that what we're doing is beneficial for biodiversity and achieving those very well-defined and measurable goals while maintaining access for everything that we love to do. Right, and then I'll add on to that too, that you know, being that this was an executive order, it's a lot of the responsibility is landing on the states to kind of figure out what it means. 
Um, and so that it could potentially, depending on how things go, it could potentially vary state by state. Um, so we need to make sure that, you know, and comparatively speaking, you know, I'll just take Kent's, Kent's home state here, Missouri versus my home state, Washington, that the way that they might approach that might be very different. So I think that sportsmen and women across the nation need to be aware of this and be keeping an eye on this and being able to say, hey, uh, we need to be inclusive. We're a part of this system. We're a part of this community. We're a part of you know, those who take care and stewards of this land and our resources. And we need to make sure that we're in it to win it from the beginning. So uh, I think it definitely varies state by state and we need to make sure that everyone is just aware of it and can be, can be a part of it as need be. Take, take us through um, maybe a little bit of kind of, I hate to split it like that, but kind of some of, some of the, the things that you see or have seen talking about this and, and having those discussions with um, at, at the federal level or state level with agencies and, and departments, um, things that you're really trepidatious about and then maybe some things that you're really hopeful about? I really don't know that we can answer that because in a lot of cases, we're not there yet. Um, okay. The things that we do see that make us nervous are any initiative that leans toward a preservation, kind of that hands-off approach versus a conservation approach. Uh, if we're trying to have very specific outcomes related to biodiversity, you know, whether those are linked just to biodiversity or linked back to climate change, active management is going to be the most efficient, most effective approach to get us to any goal. Um, whereas those who are arguing for that hands-off approach, you know, sometimes the science may say that the best thing is to take our hands off for a little bit and you know, let the ecosystem rebound, see what happens. But in a lot of cases, active management, whether it be active forest management, reintroduction of things like prescribed fire and some dedicated harvest, those are necessary. And so we don't want to see any proposals that prevent activities such as that from occurring. Uh, luckily, we haven't seen many of those that have gained much traction. Uh, and we're hoping that remains the case. And that's why we're trying to take this proactive step to speak not just to the access, we've been hammering access a lot from our perspective, but also the conservation and as a part of that, that active management of ecosystems that really get us to those biodiversity objectives that we're trying to hit. Yep, and then I'd say out west, I mean, Kent mentioned it earlier that this kind of 30 by 30 push really started in California and it left us um, wanting a lot more information. Um, and we're starting to see things like that pop up. I know in Nevada, there's a 30 by 30 resolution right now that's actually fairly decent, it's pretty good. They talk about access and hunting and fishing, things like that in it. But again, it's this kind of you know, cautiously optimistic uh, measured approach that we're trying to take just to make sure that you know, from the get-go, we're consistent with our messaging, consistent with what we want to make sure that it's very clear what is necessary for these concerns that the sportsmen and women have about this initiative. So that way we can try and address these issues ahead of the curve as opposed again to trying to play catch up. So I know, like I said, we've seen this pop up in California, uh, Nevada, there's discussions about it in, um, in Colorado. Uh, and there's also um, just some rumors about it in New Mexico as well. 
And so um, I'm kind of coming back to a question that I had a little bit earlier, um, taking all the time from Rodney, but he said he's going to jump on the soapbox at the end. So I got I've it. seen him writing that. stuff down. Um, <laughs> do we, so, and, and either one of you, if you've seen this, uh, I'd be interested to see it because I'm, I'm running into it in, in my profession, in my career. Uh, the, the two, the, basically the two things that can't talk about, there's this hands-off approach um, where people are starting to cite science and saying we need to have this hands-off approach or they're saying nature needs to take its course versus this uh, active management approach. Do we have good science behind, um, behind both or do we have good science behind management to say this is, I mean, I know we have good science behind management, but are we, are we addressing that? Are our scientists in the States um, looking at it from that viewpoint thinking and, and looking forward saying, we need to be able to say management is definitely the better way to go versus uh, this hands-off approach. And, and I understand there's certain instances where you have to kind of let the, the, the system reset, uh, but I haven't seen a ton of data saying, that creates better biodiversity. I mean, one, one thing off the top of my head I can think about is you look at wilderness areas within states and for the most part, you're going to see the biodiversity much greater in a, in a kind of that urban rural uh, divide where management happens versus in the center core of those, those wilderness areas. Um, but I don't know that for certain because I haven't seen any data saying uh, one way or the other. I'd really encourage you to go look at the New Mexico State Wildlife Action Plan, those SWAPs. Uh, now SWAPs, every state has them, and they identify the state's species of greatest conservation need, SGCNs. And if you start pouring through those state wildlife action plans, they're just that, they're action plans. They're not sit back and wait plans. Uh, and so I was trying to spend some time doing a little background research. I was digging through New Mexico's plan and they break down the state into six regions. Well, three of those six regions in their overarching objectives, the restoration of natural fire regimes was a top priority. The restoration of natural fire regimes is not something you're going to get through hands-off management. That's going to take right. active management. Right, yeah. Um, so I think that's, a, if you want just a glaring example of how active conservation as opposed to preservation is going to play into this system, I think that's a great example. And then to top, on top of that, uh, this, this, this session, they actually passed a prescribed fire burning um, bill that helps kind of facilitate that and kind of help get, you know, prescribed fire back on the ground for active forest management. So that was a good, a good thing that came out of, out of this session. Yeah, that's been something that's needed for a while. For a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been so, uh, such a taboo subject for a long time. I think finally the fire officials are starting to come around to realize uh, if we get a, even a natural start, it's better to manage it than just suppress it. That hundred years of suppression that we've had has been brutal. Yeah. I'll be real honest with you. I don't know that I've ever been happier than when I was on a conservation area and I heard a hunter, I was just sitting there visiting with him in the parking lot. He uttered the phrase, good fires prevent bad ones. And I, a tear rolled down my face because that's absolutely <laughs> right. That's something we preached at or we were preached to at Auburn about almost on a daily basis. So 
hearing that and seeing that mentality, not just in the Southeast, now that I'm back in the Midwest, but throughout the nation, um, seeing efforts like this to make it easier for, you know, even private landowners to implement prescribed fire on their land for conservation practices or purposes. Uh, that's just great news. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think it's also important to note too that, you know, active management is really beneficial because our landscapes just aren't the same as they were back back when you could just leave things alone and let things balance, right? What have we been saying? Yeah, that's what we've been saying. You're just, uh, you're just building Rodney's soapbox, right? <laughs> uh, happy, happy to do it, but it's easy when, <laughs> when, you got, when you got the facts right. So it's, it's this balance that we're trying to, okay, yes, do we want nature to take its course? Absolutely. I mean, nature can, can do great things, but our, our landscape is not the same. We don't have these connected landscapes, these un, unbroken habitats. You know, we have all these different factors that are influencing our landscapes and our resources that need to be properly managed because we're not just having to balance what the resources needs. We're also having to balance the human side, right? Because it's not, humans aren't removed from nature. We're a part of it and we're influencing it and back and forth. So we need to make sure that we can find that balance in our management and most of the time that needs to have some type of some type of interaction yeah she's answering all my questions man i have nothing to say by the end of this podcast <laughs> yen said very much you better get after it I, literally she's answering she's <laughs> answering all of my questions as we go um and, and stating things that i've been preaching about we, we yeah. yeah um i having little knowledge of, of what's going on and and being new to this 30-30 thing, like I said at the beginning, you know more, they definitely know more uh, than I know about it. One of the things that I think, not necessarily a question, but an observation, um, where you talk about we want to get in the, on this at the beginning so we're not playing catch up later. I'm already nervous, just a little bit that I've heard already. I'm already nervous because organizations and and, and Things like this tend to, the wording tends to lend itself to, to go to a place where we can't come back from. Yeah. Ten, and anytime there's legislation that tends to restrict things rather than loosen things up, and that's always an issue. Yeah. And, and right. through, throughout history in conservation, we've been burned. And when I say we, I, I mean the true conservationists, those of us that truly care about the land and truly care about the animals that are out there and, and want to see a healthy ecosystem out there, we've been burned. Go, go back to the wolves. You know, they, they wanted to reintroduce wolves and we were like, hey, yeah, let's do that. That sounds cool. We put a plan in place. Uh, we have a goal of restoration. We reach that goal and then they say, no, not yet. So time and time again, we've been burned by things and what I think is sad is that on paper, something like this sounds great. It sounds like, yes, let's protect some, some habitat. Let's protect 30% of our natural wildlands. And instantly I'm like, nope, forget you. I want no part of it. I'm out. <laughs> because somehow you're going to find a way to screw us in the end. And it just... So now I'm sitting here thinking, this is something that we should all be on board with. But I'm like, well, not really sure I can get on board because the language is so hard. 
it's so hard to get the language right to protect our rights, to help them protect the land and all of that thing. We've been burned so many times that it's just hard. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the big question is, we. This, this is kind of the hardest thing about, about this podcast is, is we're trying to do as much as we can to inform hunters about what's going on, but we're just two guys. Um, it's nice to have some other people dealing right. with this so that, so that sometimes you, you can kind of rely on their expertise. We're relying on your expertise um, in this. Um, what, what can sportsmen do, sportsmen do to get involved and, and really well, go, go ahead? Yeah, before you go to that, to, the one question I did have, and that's what, you know, like I talked about when we get burned on these things and stuff, but the question I have is, are we protecting it to use it or are we protecting it just so it's there? Um, and if, if the goal is to protect 30% of the lands so we can use it and enjoy it and generations can use it, then again, it seems to me that everybody should be on board with that. We just have to find the ways to put the language in that protects our rights to use it. And that would be the only thing that would scare me. Yeah, and I think I think that's a valid concern that we that we all share, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and and you're right. There are definitely situations in which you know the the goalposts keep getting moved on us, right? Mm-hmm. They just keep 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 moving. The closer we get, and they just keep keep moving it downfield. And so those are definitely definitely things that have happened, and definitely valid concerns. And I think that in and of itself lends it to just the baseline that we need to be engaged because if we aren't the yep. other side will be yep yep oh they, they've it's, proven that <laughs> yeah right and it's, so it's one of those things where it's just like okay like we need sportsmen and women to show up yeah yeah we i understand i i get it i love hunting i love fishing i love going deep in there where there's no one else i don't want to be bothered i want to just be me my thoughts my fishing pole my rifle what have you Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if I want to keep being able to do that, I need to show up and we need sportsmen yeah. and women to show up. And it's not this siloed effect where it's duck hunters versus deer hunters versus trappers versus, you know, fly fishermen. We have this tendency that definitely works against us as a community yep. to be, you know, oh, I don't care about that. I'm not a trapper. I don't care if they don't, if they get rid of trapping in New Mexico. Okay. Mm-hmm one part of the community that's now, you know, has lost that ability. What's, what's next. So by a thousand cuts. Exactly. And so it's, we need to show up as a community because as a community, we are strong. We are a force to be reckoned with. And I think that has been shown in New Mexico, this session, because we, New Mexico sportsmen and women showed up on numerous occasions and we put up some really good fights and some we won, one we didn't. And it's a, that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles sometimes, but mm-hmm. it just shows that we need to show up as a united community, not one that doesn't care because it's not, I don't trap or I don't fly fish or I don't do this or that. And that right there is a very well articulated argument on why we support private landowners. Yep. Perfectly articulated because that is, that is it. We're a community while private lands and public lands both habitat for the game species that we love to pursue and that's why we are advocates for both yep and and you know for the most part um 
and, and can probably speak to this, but for the most part, most of those landowners want to do the right thing on their land. They're doing it for the sure. right reasons. They're, um, they're doing projects and paying for it out of their own pocket and, and it benefits any livestock that they have, but it also benefits wildlife. And then there's those that are just doing it for the wildlife. And so it's like, like you're saying, Ellery, I think it's, it's important for us to show up as a community. Um, and that seems, seems like in New Mexico, it felt pretty good this year. Um, even the one that we lost, even the trapping, the trapping ban on public lands that we lost, fought. we lost by one vote. Mm-hmm. one vote one i know i was one, watching the floor session <laughs> one vote if we could have gotten just a few more people to call in 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 those certain key districts we knew we knew the districts we were going to lose but um really it was a it was a hard fought session and i think the sportsman really showed up um i was i was thoroughly pleased to see it they did yeah. and i think it's also commendable because you know sportsman's community in New Mexico wasn't getting paid to do so. They weren't fundraising or putting commercials out or anything like that. And got, al- and got almost no time to state their case. Yep. Yep, exactly. And so the opposition, it was not the case for the proponents of that bill. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we got that close really speaks volumes to what the sportsman's community as a whole can do when we are able to rally together and support one another as a community. Absolutely. And I think that goes the same thing for this 30 by 30. If we are able to come together as a community and say these, we like this idea, but these are our conditions for our support. Then, then we're, then we're on board. You don't get these, if you don't hit these key points, then that's a different story and it's going to be a whole different conversation. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the arguments we really have to prepare for is we we've had this North American model of wildlife conservation that really, you know, has, has figured out some of the funding issues. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really, I really do want to see biodiversity. I want to see money go towards these, these, uh, species of greatest conservation need. Um, but what I want to see is it, it come from, places other than my pocket. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm paying for uh, the species that I really want to, you know, deal with the game species and things like that. I would be absolutely up for seeing something like the Pittman Robertson uh, excise tax for species of greatest conservation need. Let's tax backpacks. Let's tax hiking shoes. Let's tax uh, those things and put that money towards that. I I think that's a great uh, middle ground that we can come to. Um, what, what we're always afraid of as sportsmen is they keep on coming after our money, coming after our yeah. money, coming after our money. Yep. Yeah. And I, it, that's absolutely valid concern and one that is shared by a lot of people in the community. And just to kind of put some numbers here to put it into perspective, uh, currently, or excuse me, in 2020, New Mexico received $40.2 million through the American system of conservation funding. So that's your hunting license dollars, your PR money, your DJ money, all of that. $40.22 million, all from sportsmen and women. Yep. New Mexico, New Mexico Department of Game and Fish's budget, total budget, hunting and fishing sportsmen and women dollars 
um, is base is 99.3% of their total budget. So sports men and women sh supply almost a hundred percent of game and fishes yep. budget. Yeah. And that's, uh, and that, and that's not necessarily true across all states, but New Mexico yep. is almost a hundred percent funded by sports men and women. And yep. the funny thing is, you know, you talk about those threatened endangered species, species of greatest conservation need, even, even those species that they have a biologist on staff for those species, it's probably underfunded, but they do have a stamp that you can buy that goes directly to that. And so um, even the sportsman's dollars are going to, to, to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, important to note that um, New Mexico on their, the state wildlife action plans, the swap that Kent talked about, they have, um, what is it? 200, 230 species, yep. 235 species that are identified as species of greatest conservation need. Uh, yep. During, I believe it was the Senate Bill 312 hearing, um, Director Sloan was asked how much money it would cost if every single one of those species was actively managed in the state that are identified. And he said it would cost approximately $27 million to, to manage every single one of those species identified in the swaps. So that right there, if it came out of sportsman's dollars would be what, over 50%? Half. Yeah, half, half or a little over half of the, half of the budget. And I think that's being conservative. Yeah. Right. So, Which is why we that, fought that so hard. Yeah. And I, think, and I think that's an important kind of segue into another topic that I know that you were of interest to was the you know, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, which, it, yeah. which hasn't been introduced yet this Congress. There's discussions and trying to get it introduced in the coming weeks. Um, but that's the Recovering America's Wildlife Act is trying to directly address that concern as far as, you know, conserving and managing, actively managing these species of greatest conservation need while not putting the burden on sportsmen and women. Uh, Kent, I know you've done a lot on this. Is there, you want to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. So with that Recovering America's Wildlife Act, that's uh, right now an estimated about $1.4 billion annually split amongst the state agencies and tribal agencies that are charged with managing these fish and wildlife resources. Um, it's a very similar framework to the current American system of conservation funding in that the states would be required to provide a 25% non-federal match to be able to access those funds. Uh, Ellery mentioned that you guys had a couple questions related to the use of license dollars to meet that match requirement. Um, and so wanted to try to alleviate some of those concerns. So short answer, can you use license dollars to meet this Recovering America's Wildlife Act 25% match? Short answer is yes, but there are a lot of caveats to get you to that point. So first, for a state agency to be able to use any license dollars, they have to have fully met the 25% sport fish and wildlife restoration, that PR and Dingle Johnson Act match requirement for each of the last two years. So they've had to fully meet their match requirements through the current American system of conservation funding before they can even think about using those license dollars to meet the raw match requirement. So you're looking above and beyond the other caveat, if they meet that criteria, is that any grants that are funded through Recovering America's Wildlife Act, where the match requirement comes from our license dollars, that program has to benefit not only a species of conservation, great 
Oh, we lost you for a sec. Yep. I know right where we lost him. Information <laughs> need. Hey, uh, Kent, we lost you for just a second. You go go right back to uh, where we lost you, as you said. It it, it has to um, go towards the species yeah, of greatest need, that. as well as a game species or fish species that's pursued by the sportsmen and women purchasing those licenses. That, See, that's, that's good to hear. That's decent I, wording. Yeah, I because um, when I originally went through that Rawa. Um, I, I looked and the original information I had was that they were diverting Pittman-Robertson to these uh, species of greatest conservation need, read through it, I knew immediately that's not what they were doing. They were appropriating monies, uh, other monies other than, than Pittman-Robertson and then distributing them through Pittman-Robertson to the state agencies. But I did not understand the caveats that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And the sportsman's community worked really hard to get those in because Recovering America's Wildlife Act is absolutely designed to be a complement to, not a replacement for, the American system of conservation funding. Where does that money come from originally? Uh, in the bill that was introduced last Congress, it was out of the general fund. And and how much was uh, is is the federal apportionment? It would be one point four billion annually. Spread between the states. Yeah, between the states. Yeah, Ellery, you that, had a figure on New Mexico there. What would New Mexico receive through that? Let's see here. I wrote it down just just to make sure I wasn't mis misrepresenting. Let's see here. Um, of course, now I'm not gonna be able to find it in my notes when I need to. Right? <laughs> Wait, always. Um, works. I know. So again, this is this is subject to change, right? Because this hasn't been introduced yet. There's some, they're still tweaking with language and kind of the funding model. Sure. But uh, essentially, if Bravo were to be enacted, um, it would provide approximately $29 million a year to New Mexico. Um, so again, Director Sloan roughly estimated that to cover all of the species of greatest conservation need, it would cost roughly 27 million. So that per, roughly is a $2 million cushion. Um, as it stands right now, New Mexico currently receives less than a million dollars for the state wildlife um, and tribal grants program. And so if they were to, um, if I did my, my stuff correctly, which I may not have, of 29 million, we'd have to match 25%, which is 7 million, is that correct? I'll trust your math on that, but yeah, <laughs> roughly. Uh, and so, yeah, that would be that would be interesting to see um, see where that money is going to come from. Um, we we see a lot of, uh, and I don't know for certain what the number is, but I've seen some some figures uh, like um, floating around uh, saying that we had uh, big game applications this year were up sixty thousand or something like that, and and if that's the case, that kind of goes into what we've been talking about in, in that this uh, induction of new hunters into the, into the system is going to be good because that money is going to be needed for habitat work. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Um, got anything else, Rodney? No, like I said, she answered <laughs> all my questions. It, I, I mean, like I said earlier on, on paper, it sounds really good and it sounds like something that we should all get on board to support. 
uh, I 100% agree. We need to make sure that our voices are heard and heard early so we don't have to fight to get language out um, later. Uh, much better to, to work hard to get the language we want in it in it from the beginning. Uh, and, and it goes right back to what she said, showing up, uh, get, getting the message out to uh, our sportsmen here in New Mexico and making sure that their voices are heard and making sure that when this does come around in New Mexico, that it, it's to a tune that we can dance to. Yep. Yep. Um, so give us, a, give us um, Rodney cut me off earlier when I was going to say this. Uh, what, what are some ways that, uh, the sportsmen can get involved? Um, how, how do we, how do we rally? How do we, how do we actually, it's not even rally. How do we stand up, um, and, and have this voice? Because like you said, right now is the time to, to start thinking about it, talking about it and, and getting, getting our seat at the table. Um, whether we got to elbow our way in or if we're invited either way, I think we need to be sitting there. Well, if you don't mind another shameless plug, I'd certainly recommend everybody check out the huntfish3030.com website. On that website, there's a lot of resources explaining the role of sportsmen and women in this biodiversity conversation. There's also a petition um, that folks can sign, show their support for what we're trying to do as part of this initiative. Um, and beyond that, you know, come to the Congressional Sportsman Foundation website at congressionalsportsman.org. You know, Educate yourselves as much as you can on these priorities that affect you, sportsmen and women, uh, and then take that knowledge and become engaged. Contact your legislator, either within the state uh, chambers or at the federal level. You know, contact your representatives, your senators, and let them know how you feel about it. Because um, you'd be amazed how far constituent engagement can go. And I think also to it, not only at just, you know, the state and federal level, I mean, we're seeing initiatives like this pop up, you know, on the county level. So it's just really, you know, keeping your eyes open, like Ken said, educating yourself and then educating everyone else around you. You know, it's great talk over a beer. It's great talk around a campfire. It's, it's, it's great talk just all around. It's about stuff that we care about and we love and we love. So why not, you know, spread the word and reach out and let people know how you feel and, just keep keep an eye on, keep your ear to the ground. So that way, when you start hearing these conversations happen, you know whether they're from someone that shares your same perspectives or someone who might share different perspectives. You know, it's about that that dialogue. We can we can preach to one another all day long to someone that has the same viewpoints as you, but when it comes down to it, I don't need to convince you know you or Kent necessarily. I need to convince other people. I need yeah. to explain explain my opinions and my side and everything to to other people. So it's really about getting the word out there, make calling your representatives, your senators at, at all levels, and just really making sure that our voice is allowed from the beginning. So that yeah. way that there's no question whether or not we're gonna be invited to the table because we have made sure that we are part of the conversation from day one. Yeah, yeah and building off of that, you know, help grow our voice, take somebody hunting and fishing with you. Yep. Yeah, on it forward, baby. On forward, that's it. On it forward. Hey, um, before we close this out, I kind of wanted to. This is a thought that popped into my head, kind of last minute when you're talking, Ellery. Um, us included, a lot of a lot of sportsmen have a hard time following all this stuff. That you know, uh, reading a, a, le a legislative bill is not the easiest thing, um, and 
and the other the other so how do sportsmen how do sportsmen kind of follow this stuff and be engaged without you guys do this as a job but how do how does a regular sportsman kind of do follow along and be engaged without being overwhelmed i know this year i was just absolutely drained after the legislative session Man. um how do you guys do that and uh you know the other the other side of it is uh if you're if you're in one of these sportsman groups that are that are you know saying that they're the voice of the sportsman um how do you at the same time you know make them accountable boy do we have the resources for you <laughs> <laughs> More shameless plugs, here they come. Um, have it. So first, to stay engaged, to stay informed, um, certainly sign up as through any conservation sportsman organization that you're a part of, sign up for the newsletter, but go to the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation website, sign up for our newsletter, The Sportsman's Voice, weekly newsletter that covers you know, everything throughout the region. Ellery, I'll let you talk more about it. It's kind of your bread and butter here. Uh, happy, happy to do it. So yeah, you can sign up for the Sportsman's Voice, which is CSS weekly newsletter. As Kent said, it kind of hits on high, high level, high ticket items that kind of pop up throughout the nation. Uh, New Mexico was in it a lot this year. Um, so thank you guys for making it easy to write about things. Uh, <laughs> good, bad, or indifferent. Um, <laughs> and also, we also have something called Tracking the Capitals. So tracking the capitals is this free program that we provide to anyone that wants to sign up and you can basically select it down to the state and the topic as far as legislation or regulations. We talked a lot on the legislative side, but a lot of this can also happen on the regulation side, like through your game and fish. And so you can sign up for these email alerts that basically tell you in your categories that you select in this tracking the capitals, New Mexico, if you're worried about New Mexico and you're worried about access issues, you can hit a couple of buttons and it'll send you updates whenever they pop up in the legislature or at the regulatory process and say, hey, this might be of interest to you. It's definitely going to be kind of dry, dry reading, but generally speaking, it can at least kind of narrow your focus to the, the region or the state that you're most interested in, as well as the topics that are most interest to you. And then as Kent said, you know, talking to or engaging with the different organizations, you know, Mule Deer Foundation, Pheasants Forever, Rocky Mountain Elk, all those different guys and gals, you know, engaging with them. They do a good job on social media, kind of highlighting things. It's just really making sure that you're trying to be plugged into all those different areas. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good advice. I think um, um, we really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, we, we try and make sure that that we give a good wide variety of information to people. Um, and we say for everybody out there, uh, if you're gonna join one of these groups, make sure that you know what they're doing and that they are uh, echoing your values and, and all yep. that stuff. So that's, that's really important as well. Yeah, very. Well, um, Ellery, Kent, we really appreciate it. I think we hit a lot of good information here. I think this is going to be a really informative podcast for our, our listeners and uh, love to do it again down, down the road, hopefully when New Mexico's not so much in the news. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy. Thank you so much for inviting us and letting us talk about 30 by 30 and kind of what's, what's going on and, and CSF. And, you know, we're, we're here to be a resource. We're here to 
you know, participate in this process. We're here to really be the sportsman's voice and making sure that, that we are showing up to the table and it, the more the merrier, the more the merrier, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you down the road. Thanks guys. Thanks thank for joining again. Adios. Adios. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Not a Grande Outdoors podcast. Come follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about our website, www.notagrandeoutdoors.com. Adios. Adios.